Okay, church, we are going to um, continue in our service this morning. You know, we have the blessing this morning of remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper um, communion at the close of today's service. If you came this, well, if you came, what am I saying? You're here. I'm only talking to people that are in the room right now. So since you're here this morning, you see in the bulletin and you see on the bulletin where we're going. If you missed last Sunday's message, we were, we're continuing the Gospel of Matthew. And as we were reading about it, we hit a point where children were being restricted from coming to Jesus. And as these children were being restricted um, from coming to Jesus, Jesus took exception. And Jesus had to speak to his disciples. And as he spoke to his disciples, he said this. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So I know we haven't prayed yet. I haven't said the prayer books and all that other stuff. We'll get to that in just one second. I just want you to know that we're continuing this study, though, about children. And I think it's just so important for us to do it. And so that's, that's where we're going. And we're going to take it even earlier in the life of a child. And we're going to look at the life of a child even before that child is born. And what God thinks about that, and we compare it to what the world says about what life is and when life begins and all of those things. But before I do forget, if you are sitting on the right side of your row, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible, even without power, when there's still Bibles, thank God for print, right? So it's good. Ink on paper is good because it works even when the power doesn't work. So um, if you need a Bible on the right side of your row is a Bible underneath that chair. You can grab it. We're in Matthew chapter 19. The other base text that we'll be in, if you're taking notes mentally or written, is Psalm 139 is where we'll also find ourselves this morning. Psalm 139. Um, you can please grab the prayer books and the praise books, which are also on the right side of your row right now. That'd be great. And you can fill out prayer requests and praise reports. Um, for me as a pastor, it's very interesting. You get used to a routine of doing things a certain way. And I'm just like, there are no screens. <laughs> there... I had so many pictures and things that I'd been collecting over the, well, months, even years. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great for specific messages. And I was like, this will be great for this message. And you know what? The Lord just knows what he's doing. He knew that this would be the Sunday we wouldn't have power. This would be exactly where we'd be at his word. And I think what he wants us to do is hear the stories and to listen to the words spoken by others and some of the quotes that I'll share. So I'll just, you know, I know the format's gonna be a little bit different than what we're used to, but God's word is alive just as much as it is when we have electricity. And so I think he'll give us a supernatural ability to grasp onto what we need to grasp onto. Uh, and so I, I'm not worried about the Lord in that, in what he's gonna do. He's gonna do, it's gonna be amazing today. But if you could pray for this pastor, just cause it's a little bit out of what I'm normally used to. So. Uh, that'd be wonderful. Let's pray and let's, uh, let's do that. Papa, we come before you and we do thank you that you are more than enough for us. You are the one that holds us together. You are the one that leads us and guides us. I thank you this morning that you have led us to this place on this morning. Thank you that your word is available to us here in this country and that we are able to open it and to read it freely. We pray, God, that your living word would become alive in us and that we would see you 
in your word and that we would realize where we fit in what you're saying to us. I pray this morning, God, that a sense of your love and forgiveness would be so obvious in the teaching of your word. I thank you, Lord, that all of us are sinners, every single one of us, and God, it was by your son, Jesus, that we could be made right before you. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus's blood. And I pray that would be at the forefront of our mind this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So um, this morning, there's a lot of announcements in your bulletin, but if you'll allow me to just skip by them, I think they're pretty self-explanatory, so I'm just gonna skip by all of that this morning. This morning as we look, we are looking at that passage and Jesus said, don't hinder the little kids from coming to me. One of the greatest hindrances from little, for little children to come to Jesus is if those little children are not born. I can't think of a greater hindrance of that. I mean, just, think, just listen for just a moment. Oh, they were louder just a second ago. Without little children, silence. Oh, it's great. It's peace and quiet. No, it's just quiet. Could you imagine a world without children, without their laughs, without their joy. You know, the question is, when does life begin? Does it begin at birth, right? As the baby's head breaches the birth canal or, or, or maybe on a C-section, the first time any part of the baby's skin touches oxygen, is life, does it begin when the baby takes its first breath? Is that when life begins? Does life begin at conception? You know, we don't have to look very far to find out what God, the creator of all things, says about that. We see the very first live births in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, I'll read it to you, Genesis 4, 1 and 2. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And she again bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. We see the first live birth, the first and second live births in the Bible there in Genesis chapter four. I think for some, they would say that life begins at your first breath and they would refer back to um, Genesis chapter two and they would refer to um, life being breathed into, Genesis chapter one, excuse me, and life being breathed into Adam. We can even look into that one too, Genesis chapter one, and I'll read this here, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over, over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I think with the account of Adam where God breathes life into Adam, that may be where some people, even some Christians go, well, life begins at the first breath. But other than Adam and Eve, when you see the creation of people, it is through birth. It's through this conception and then through the nine months and then through birth. 
For us, we will see, even with Old Testament prophets, and we will look at some of those passages this morning, we will see that God knows a child even before that child is born. This is such a powerful thing because God formed us. God formed us in his image. The word there, the Greek word is imago dei. Imago dei means in the image of God. It's what it means to be human. We're not just a bunch of cells randomly thrown together by some impersonal force. We reflect, we are the image of an eternal God who knew us before we were made and he purposely called us into being. This is so important. We don't give life. God gives life. The government doesn't give life. No country gives life. God himself is the one who gives life. And the thing is, we have to realize this. Not only did God make us, but God also values us. The Bible tells us of a God who is madly in love with us, not mad, madly in love with us. So much so, how crazy was, it, was he about us? How much in love was he about us? So much so that he sent his own son to come and die for us so that we might be with him forever. That's how much he loves us. So we were created by God with a purpose from God and we were given a redemption through Jesus Christ, which God the Father provided. We have a loving father. You know, th this morning, my notes are all over the place because, <laughs> because there's so much. And I just want to, I want to share all of it at one time and I can't do that. <laughs> if you hear the sound of my voice, as you go through this message, we're going to talk about life, but then we're also going to talk about death. We're going to talk about abortion. If you have experienced an abortion yourself. I need you to know this so clearly. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There is nothing you have done that God cannot forgive. Amen. If you have experienced an abortion and statistically for our fellowship, for our country, one in four women, 25% would have experienced one in their own life. So I understand that as I speak this, it's personal for quite a portion of those listeners, of our listeners here. And so I just want you to know, God loves you and there's forgiveness in Christ. And I have to talk about it. And I have to talk about it. I can't not speak the truth because somebody has experienced pain in that area. I want you to know I'm speaking these things and sharing these things not to bring up memories or to cause you pain, but I'm here to bring these things up so that someone who has not gone down that road yet will not go down that road and experience the pain and experience the sorrow. And so that's why it needs to be talked about. You know, there was, a, there was a woman who noticed that there were playgrounds in her community that were empty. It started to bother her. And she began to be troubled as she didn't hear the sound of children, even the cries of children, didn't hear them. 
It was oddly quiet and the playgrounds were empty. Her first name is Norma. Troubled Norma very, very much. And she felt she had a huge part in the fact that the playgrounds were empty and that the sound of children were muted all around her. Because Norma was Jane Roe in the court case, Roe versus Wade. I was born in 1974, so from the time that I was born, Roe versus Wade had been passed. So I was born into a, into a world, into a country that that was the norm, if you will. For Jane Roe, and you can look into her story because this is the interesting thing. You think in this debate that we have in the conversation of Roe versus Wade, there's a large portion of those that are 30 years old and younger. If you ask them what Roe versus Wade was, a poll was taken. They were confused as to whether it was an environmental issue or whether it was some conflict um, in the past, some war. A, a disturbingly low percentage of those that were 30 and younger knew what Roe versus Wade referred to. And if you look at the story of Roe versus Wade and even her book, I Am Roe, she describes what it was like from her perspective, how she was picked because she was poor and white and pregnant. She describes the two female attorneys that came and sat with her and talked with her. And as she realized, used her as a poster child to further an agenda. She had already had two births. The first child was in the care of her mother. The second child was put up for adoption. And so this was Norma's third pregnancy. She didn't end up having an abortion with her third pregnancy because the court case took longer than her pregnancy. So her third child was born. You know, sometimes this idea of Roe versus Wade, well, you know, it's, it's too bad that Roe isn't alive because if she was alive, you know, you could really like put her out there in front of the cameras, especially in our media society, because she would definitely state the case. Well, the thing is, in the 80s, when she had this revelation and she saw empty playgrounds, and I believe the conviction of God's Holy Spirit was upon her heart, she made a change. She made a change. And she had a change of heart and realized that what she had been used for was a horrible mistake. Norma McCorvey said this, quote, I think it's safe to say that the entire abortion industry is based on a lie. I am dedicating the rest of my life to undoing the law that bears my name. Do you understand why she was never put up in front of the cameras? Because she realized the truth of it. She herself realized the truth of it. Norma McCorvey passed away in 2017, just two years ago. She was alive all the way up until 2017. That's the reason why you haven't heard about her. Because for her, God opened her heart and showed her the truth. But is that being taught? Is what I just shared with you, is that common knowledge? It's not common knowledge. It needs to be common knowledge. You know what needs to be common knowledge is the fact that God can change a person's heart. He can change anyone's heart. And so we can't lose hope. 
I can't imagine what it must have been for Norma to look at those playgrounds and to realize I had a huge part to play in this. Since Roe versus Wade, there are 60 million children that were not born. 60 million children. They would be my age and younger. 60 million Americans. I'm not even talking the world, just Americans that are not here. What does the Bible say about abortion? You know, there are some that can go, well, the Bible's not gonna speak about abortion because you know, the techniques and the procedures that we have now were not available in the time of Jesus. So the Bible is silent when it comes to that. I have to tell you, the Bible is not silent when it comes to that. Yes, while their methodology in biblical times would have been different, the heart behind it isn't. The Bible speaks of not having your children pass through the fire. It's kind of a phrase and it's found in the Bible and you just go, wait, wait a second. What does that verse mean? Found, you know, don't let your children pass through the fire. There was this false god called Molech. And for Molech, to worship Molech, the idea was, listen, you need to make a sacrifice to Molech. And Molech was this, it was in the image of a bull, the head of a bull with arms out forward, stretched out this way. And either there was um, a, a, a cavity in this, in this statue in the middle, or there was a fire on the top, but either way, there was a place for, fire, for wood to be put in and to be burned. And that wood would burn and it would burn hot, so hot that the statue would start to glow because of the heat. And to worship the god Molech, what you would do is you would take your child, your infant, your newborn, and you would place your infant in the arms of Molech as your child is consumed by the heat and perishes. Part of the worship of Molech also involved being intoxicated and partying. Here's why, so that your senses would be dulled as you sacrificed your child. So that it would be dulled from hearing the screams of your child and for the God Molech to say, listen, what I'll do is I'll take that inconvenience, that unwanted pregnancy. I will take that. It will be a worship to me and you're free to live your life. Go have a party and continue on. Church, do you see that nothing has changed? Nothing has changed. And yet God had an opinion about that. God it was a detestable thing to God because these children who were made in God's image were being sacrificed. God loved and cared for every single one of them. Is the worship of Molech still happening today? Oh, no, won't call it Molech, but it's still happening. Children sacrifice. So you're going to have to work this backwards here a little bit and go, wait, 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 wait. Children's sacrifice. Well, it's good that we live in a day and an age with technology where they're not really alive until they're born. So it's not really a child. It's just a bunch of cells. But then the problem with technology advancing is that now we have not just 3D ultrasounds, but 4D ultrasounds where you also have motion involved. So you can see your child. For my wife and I, we were right before 3D was, you know, was just kind of coming in. And so when our kids were born, none, we didn't get to see any of them in that, but we saw the 2D profile of our child in motion. Little, little freight train of a heartbeat. 
I'm like, whoa. I mean, just the reality for that. I love talking to first time dads, especially where it's like, hey, I went, went to the doctor, heard the heartbeat. It's like, what do you think? Crazy, right? It's crazy. Yeah. That's your son or your daughter right there. Made in the image of God, loved by God with purpose. And now you know it. But now we live in a day and an age where you can see a three-dimensional view of your child also in motion. Even to look at, look at that nose. Look at that forehead. I mean, he has your forehead. She has your forehead, you know, or something like that. And you just, oh. And so it's becoming harder and harder for people to deny, well, that's, that's quite a human being that's in there. But, but, and then we have to ask ourselves, who's the one that says when life begins? Who is it that says when life begins? Who determines that? Who has the authority to determine when life begins? I would have to say be the creator of life who has that authority. <clears throat> and so in the scriptures, you'll see in a few different passages here that God speaks of knowing a child even in the womb. But before we talk about that, I just, I just want to talk about this. I do understand that there are some <clears throat> induced abortions that happen because the life of the mother is at risk. And I've definitely heard this brought up plenty of times. Even my mom, who's a nurse, brought this up to me years ago. And I asked my mom, I go, mom, what percentage exactly are we talking about of tubal pregnancies or cancer or something like that? And to realize what a small percentage we're talking about. And in those circumstances, the goal is to save the life of the mother. It's not an issue of convenience. It's not an issue of an unwanted pregnancy. It's a matter to save the life. And the intention is not to kill the child. Yes, those occur in the day and age that we live in because we live in a fallen world full of sin. Yes, absolutely. So please, I want you to understand that when we talk, when I speak about abortions this morning, I'm not talking about those abortions. I'm talk not talking about that tiny sliver of a percentage. I'm talking about the overwhelming majority of that pie that's children that are aborted because it's not convenient to have them, because it will hinder a career, because a parent is overwhelmed because they don't understand how they will provide for a child, and so they make a decision. For a, a, a woman who's pressured because she's not informed as to the facts of the matter, there's lots of reasons as to why. Sometimes fear or ignorance or coercion, but for some, there's a superiority. It's my choice and I'm going to make a decision. This is a common phrase you hear it. It's my body. It's my choice. But church, this is for believers here. The word is very clear. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. For do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's not just women, that's men as well. God makes it very clear. Your body is on loan. It's not yours, it's mine. I gave it to you. Use it to glorify me. In what area? In all areas. So if you have your Bibles and you're in Psalm 139, <clears throat> in Psalm 139, <clears throat> We'll read a few verses and I want to share some more facts here. Psalm 139. Let's look at the first few verses here. David is writing, and this was set to music, and we don't have the, uh, the um, arrangement here of the music, but we do have the lyrics. And here are the lyrics to this song. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are equated with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows us, even our thoughts, even our words before we even think them and they enter into our mind. The truth needs to be told in our society. I understand our world is in a certain situation, yes, but we are all living in the United States of America right now. We have to start in our own backyard. I worry for our country, the country that I was born into. I worry for a country that slays its own children. What kind of a blessing do you think that we as a country will receive if we continue this practice? There's a chilling verse in the Bible. It's very chilling, but I think it's worth sharing. It is in Genesis 4, and I'll read it. Genesis 4.10. After Cain killed his brother Abel, the first murder in the Bible, this is what God says. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. God hears every child, born and unborn. And when Abel was killed by his brother, or when Abel was killed by his brother Cain, God heard the voice of Abel. His blood is crying out from the ground, Cain. You know, we talked about this when we talked about sexual sin and other things like that a few weeks ago. There's this level of shame and guilt that comes when we sin. That is how it should be. That is how God has created us. But in a society we live in now, we're told, listen, that guilt or that shame that you feel, don't worry, that's just this, this construct that's built by society. Just keep, just keep going in the direction. And eventually, it, it doesn't really, it's not really, it doesn't exist. No, that's been put in there by God. And that guilt and shame will not go away. And there's nothing that can take that away except, remember that verse in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is the only cure for the guilt and the shame. I wonder how many people in our country here bear that burden of that guilt and that shame. Every day, they bear it. And they do so many things to numb the guilt and to numb the shame. But it won't go away without the forgiveness that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know what it's like from a mother's perspective but I've heard this across my desk over the years. Just a woman that will show up. Sometimes she's in her 20s, sometimes she's in her 40s, sometimes she's even older. What's going on? And you know, it may start off with some other issue or some other thing and start talking and then God just brings something to the surface from the past. And then I had this abortion when I was and whenever. It's just too much. And you start to, as I look at this woman that's sitting across the desk from me, I realize she's still bearing the weight of the sin. She's still bearing that weight even this, this many decades later. And it's this crushing and heavy weight. And I'm so thankful to be able to share verses like I shared with 1 John 1, 9 and so many others that speak of the forgiveness that only comes from God. And to watch 
a woman receive that forgiveness. But here's some of the stories that I have heard with my ears. And the things that God used to trigger this and to bring it back to the surface was going to birthday parties and doing that math and saying, I should have a child that's this age by now. <clears throat> to go to a graduation for someone else's child and to go, 18 years ago, yeah, I, I would have a high school graduate right now. I could be at, at his or her graduation ceremony right now. To be at the wedding of someone else and to go, my child would be of the age to get married. I could be the, I could be the mom in the front row there. And it's these thoughts that don't get told to a woman from our society. No, you know, it's okay. You know, you're too young. You can get a, you can get an abortion. It's okay. Just what's not told is look down the road and the guilt and the shame and the weight that this will have upon you. I think about those that are older and elderly, men and women who are alone. We see it at the care home. Where are your kids? Oh, my kids aren't around or I didn't have any kids or whatnot. But then to hear stories of I did have some kids and, you know, we just uh, got an abortion and, um, and to realize that that's going to start to affect those that are getting older. Where are the ones that would take care of you in your old age? They're not alive. This is something I've also seen, and this doesn't get spoken of um, much either, but for fathers, for fathers that they don't have their little girl or their young man around, their little boys around, he's not around because of an abortion that he encouraged because he was afraid or because he didn't want a child. He wasn't ready to give up that life of being single and partying and doing all that stuff. There's so much brokenness and heartache in our society. God never intended it to be this way. Uh, if, you, if you've had an abortion, or if you're a man who encouraged someone to get an abortion, and you realize as either sometime previous to this moment or even in the course of this message, you understand, oh, what have I done? God, I've sinned against you. And I've taken a life or I've encouraged the taking of another human being. It's a heavy thing to realize that you're a murderer. It's a heavy thing. I'm not the first person to say that because Jesus himself would even describe that. If you've been here for a couple weeks, you may have realized, oh wow, I'm an adulterer, I'm a liar, I'm a thief. I'm a murderer? If it wasn't for the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ, none of us would ever have a chance at all. But we can't, because remember that first, that verse, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, how can you confess your sin if you don't realize that you've sinned? How can you? You can't receive the forgiveness of God if you don't confess, but how can you confess if you don't know that you've sinned? So that's why it has to start there. You have to realize what has happened. But if you have been a part of an abortion, I want to, I want to tell you this. I, I so encourage you, please share your story. Don't let another woman get an abortion that you know without speaking up and talking to her. Men. If you know a guy that's like, oh yeah, well, she got pregnant, you know, yeah, we got pregnant, but I'm just gonna encourage her to get an abortion. 
Men, speak up and talk to that confused man. And speak to him and take him down the road of his life to talk about the potential pain and sorrow and regret that he will feel. Do not let it go. I can address the situation this morning, but if you've experienced it, you can speak to somebody in a way that I never could. And God doesn't want you to have gone through something like that and not share it with someone else. Because if you can help prevent someone else from making a horrible decision, then you have a responsibility, Christian, to do that. What I've noticed in Christian circles is it's kind of like, well, I don't want to talk about that. If you don't talk about it, there will be others that continue it. Speak of it. It doesn't mean you glorify it, and it doesn't mean you build yourself up. You're just being real, and you're sharing so that others can learn from even your sin. You'll hear about me from here talk about how I had loose living when I was in college and sleeping around and all of that. I don't share that to, to, I don't share that to build myself up at all. In fact, it makes me look bad. I share it because I don't want anybody else to experience the sorrow and the shame and the guilt that I did. So that's why I would share a story that doesn't put me in a good light. Because you know what, who does put it in an amazing light? God, who is able to forgive even somebody like me for what I've done. This is why you must share your story. I am so thankful for Norma sharing her story, writing a book. And what did it get her? It got her absolutely ignored by the abortion movement in our country because she was no longer supporting their position. God had spoken to her heart and she said, I cannot support this any longer. I'd like to share a few quotes with you too. Oh, there's so much, you guys, there's so much. Hold on, I gotta check my watch here, the clock on the back's on. Okay, we're okay, we're okay. Thanks for bearing with me as well. Um, Ronald Reagan, the 40th president of the United States said this, I've noticed, quote, I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion is already born. Think about it. Just think about that for just a moment. I know there's an obvious, well, of course, because you can't be for abortion if you haven't been born because you have, because you were, oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody that's for abortion? Interesting, they're already born. They haven't experienced what they are advocating. Let that sink in for just a moment. They are not experiencing, have never experienced what they are advocating themselves. Why? How do we know they're alive? Walter B. Hoy II, he's the founder of Issues for Life, specifically speaking about abortion within the African-American community, where the ratio is one to one. Since Roe versus Wade, one beautiful black boy or girl has been killed for everyone that has been born. That is the single largest killer of African-American men and women in our country by far. What's the number one? Disease, homicide, accidents, abortion. Walter B. Hoy II speaks specifically to this and he says, abortion is the most racist industry in America. Within a few decades, African-Americans may well be an endangered species. Brothers, we need to talk. 
Mother Teresa said this, but I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a war against the child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? How can we persuade a woman not to have an abortion? As always, we must persuade her with love. And we remind ourselves that love means we are willing to give until it hurts. Jesus gave even his life to love us. So the mother who is thinking of abortion should be helped to love. That is, to give until it hurts her plans, her free time, to respect the life of her child. The father of that child, Mother Teresa continuing here, whoever he is, he also must give until it hurts. By abortion, the mother does not learn to love, but kills even her own child to solve her problems. And by abortion, the father is told that he does not have to take any responsibility at all for the child he has brought into the world. That father is likely to put other women into the same trouble. So abortion just leads to more abortion. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching the people to love, but to use any violence to get what they want. This is why it is the greatest destroyer of love and peace. There are some that will say, well, we have to make an exception for cases of incest and rape. Rebecca Kissling says this, she's an attorney. She says, I was adopted nearly from birth. At 18, I learned that I was conceived out of a brutal rape at knife point by a serial rapist. Like most people, I never considered that abortion applied to my life. She was 18 when she found out this had happened. But once I received this information, all of a sudden I realized that not only does it apply to my life, but it has to do with my very existence. And then Rebecca Kissling, this attorney, who's also a pro-life speaker, she asked this question. Did I deserve the death penalty? So in the case of incest and rape, let's go back to our scripture here. Let's go back to this. Is that child loved by God? Yes. Yes. Does that child have a purpose in life? Yes. There's so many other options. Adoption. So, those that can't have children would be absolutely blessed to raise a child. But you look at this, the, the idea of abortion in the case of incest and rape, a horrible crime, no doubt, no confusion about that. Incest and rape, horrible crimes. But if somebody does something wrong to me, horribly wrong to me, does that give me the right to kill someone else? It doesn't make any sense. The child didn't have anything to do with what was done to you. So just because something is legal, church, we as Christians, we have to have our mind as the mind of Christ on these things. We can't get swept up in what our society says because you know what? Our society continues to go further and further in the wrong direction. Dr. Bernard Nathanson, a former abortion doctor, said this. In the mid-70s, I would be up on one floor putting a hypotonic, hypertonic saline into a woman 23 weeks pregnant. And on one floor down, I would have somebody at labor at 23 weeks. And I would be trying to save that baby just one floor below. The nurses were caught in the same bind, the same moral whipshaw. What are we doing here? Are we saving babies or are we killing them? And for this doctor, he's like, it depends on which floor I'm on. How confused have we become? Children are a blessing from God. 
I've so only scratched the surface here. I'm, you know what? Okay, church, I'm talking about this next week because I still have more. I still have plenty more to talk about. And the other thing too about this pastor, I understand it. We teach you the Bible, we do verse by verse, all that stuff. But there are those that don't have a voice that need those that can speak to speak for them. I have a voice, so I'm going to speak. You also have a voice, so you need to speak. I think we universally would agree that the bullying is a horrible thing, that it's wrong. I think we would agree that bullying is a horrible thing. And I keep thinking about this. I cannot think of a greater form of bullying when there's a person in position of power over another human life who can't speak and can't tell you what they think and won't ever be given the chance to. Is that person bullied? What if a person was bullied to the point of death? Horrible. And yet that happens day after day after day. The statistics are absolutely chilling. I'm going there. Okay. Here's some of the um, statistics here in our, in our society. And I, I try to get the latest ones possible. Some of them, the latest data is uh, out to 2018. For some, the latest is 2015. It's just the latest that it's been compiled to. But here's some things. There are many places that you can go in our country that provide abortions. But Planned Parenthood is the number one largest provider of abortions in the United States. There are some things that are said. Planned Parenthood is a routine healthcare provider. Their own report, their annual report, which is released in January of every year, you can download it and you can look at it. Their annual report would show that they are not a routine healthcare provider. Their provision for abortion has increased by more than 11,000 from last year. Oh, 11,000, 11,000 more human beings were killed. Which puts it where? Last year. But this year, it's 2016, 2017. 332,775 human beings. 332,000 human beings. And that's just through Planned Parenthood. That's not counting all the other abortion providers in the United States. But this is the number one abortion provider. Just in one year, take three years of that, it's a million Americans. Last year was the highest number of abortions of Planned Parenthood clinics since 2011 and 2012. I encourage you to look at these statistics. Sometimes you'll also hear this. For Planned Parenthood, abortion is just 3% of their uh, business. If 3% of their business is killing 330,000 people, what are they doing with the other 97%? Because it's not just 3%. If you're in accounting, I think you understand there's ways to subdivide categories to break them up into smaller divisions. That's what they've done on their books. And if you look at the statistics, which are publicly available, you can go, well, this procedure here, that's not technically abortion. No, but it's required in the steps that lead to abortion. So you do group all those, but they won't. They subdivide it and break it up. Why? So that the percentages are lower. So that, oh, well, just the procedure itself, the abortion procedure, it's this one item. What about all these other things that are associated with it? We don't count those. We're just looking at this. And that equals 3.2%. It's a cooking of the books. Thankfully, the books are publicly available, so you can look at it. And you can add up some columns and go, uh, it's way more than 3% of what you do. 
Here's something else that said, Planned Parenthood clinics are the only place that millions of American women can obtain necessary health care. You will hear that. Okay. Last year, the number of adoption referrals for Planned Parenthood. So we'll look at some of the other things that they would provide, right? Adoption referral, you hear about that. Last year, it decreased by 1,000 to a total of just 3,000. A total of 3,000 for all of Planned Parenthood. Wait, 332,000 abortions, 3,000 referrals for adoption. Do you see a problem? Because I see a problem. What that means is Planned Parenthood clinics perform 118 abortions for every adoption referral. That is a fact. We cannot continue to live in a country that worships Molech. There are consequences to it. You know, some would say, well, without Planned Parenthood or with any abortion provider, then women are going to go out, go without necessary health care. There are some states with smaller populations that have no Planned Parenthood clinics at all. Here are some. North Dakota, Kentucky, South Carolina, Kansas have maybe one or two locations in them. These states, meanwhile, have several hundred community health centers, several hundred community health centers. Planned Parenthood is not required. An abortion clinic is not required to provide health care. It is not required. Church, I want you to be informed and I want you to have facts. I'm definitely not here to get political, but I am here to get biblical. And I want you to know where God stands on it. So, we're in Psalm 139. If you're still there, let's look at a few more verses. This is uh, halfway through Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. Where does life begin? Well, look at this. And this was to a song. What a beautiful song this would have been to be sung. Here it is. Verse 13, Psalm 139. For for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That's just a real poetic way to speak of the nine months as a child is growing in the womb. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. So God has a plan for a child, everyday plan. Even before they're born. Verse 17, how precious to me are, are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. God loves children at all stages of life, born and unborn. It doesn't shock me when the world acts like the world. What shocks me is when Christians act like the world. It should not be so. It should not be so. And this morning, we have to think about the greatest unplanned pregnancy of all. And by unplanned, I don't mean unplanned by God. God knows every pregnancy. He knows every, he, he knows every single one. I mean from a human perspective. The greatest unplanned pregnancy of all? Jesus. Think about it. God could have sent his son to come at any stage of life. 
Jesus could have just appeared on earth through some portal from heaven as a full-grown man. I am here. I have arrived and I will now die for you on a cross. But instead, think of this. God in his infinite wisdom sent the Savior. And did he send that Savior even as a, as a child that was already born? No. He sent Jesus into the womb of a woman. Jesus began life here on this earth in the womb of a woman. You know, the, one of the first ones to worship Jesus as, the, as who he was, was a, was a fetus. You know who that was? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was worshiping in the womb. We live in a world that undersells life, ignores life when there is life. And so Jesus was worshiped by an unborn child. Jesus came as an unborn child. He experienced the stages of life and then he faithfully gave his life on the cross for us. God values life, even if human beings don't value life, even if our country has forgotten the truth of where life starts, Christian, we should never forget. And this morning, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna ask uh, the worship team to come on up here. We are going to remember Jesus and his sacrifice for us. So as the worship team comes on up, would you, would you agree with me in a word of prayer? Papa, we just thank you so much for what you've done and how good you are to each one of us. I pray for the words that I said. There's definitely a multitude of words. I pray that you would, in the way that only you can, form them, make corrections, do what you need to do. But I just pray that the words would impact each of us as you have intended. And I pray, God, that it would stick with us. I pray for each one here that has been involved in an abortion, male or female. And I pray, God, that they would absolutely sense the, the reality of the situation and then would so quickly, if they haven't already, just confess to you. Confess their sin to you. Ask you for forgiveness, knowing that you are faithful to forgive them of all of their sins so that they can walk without guilt and without shame and can walk in the light of who you are. I pray, Lord, I absolutely pray for every one of us that we would have a conviction to speak for those who have no voice. I pray that we would speak for those that are not yet born. And Lord, even if we end up being in a minority here in our country, that we would still stand with you and where you stand, Lord. God, we love you so much and we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending Jesus as we remember him now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.